On this week's episode, is Ant-Man and the Wasp poised for success? What's the deal going on with MoviePass? And is the Purge series about to die before it really takes off? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. But it almost wouldn't be another PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is trying to gut it out as best he can. He is the mastermind behind Humanica Media. You got to check out all the great stuff today, including everything at Humanica Media on YouTube and all their great podcasts on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other great outlets. It's my good friend, the sick one. It's Josh Peterson. Man, uh, I'd say how's it going, but I know it's not going too well, but I appreciate you getting through it, my friend. Oh, that's cool, man. It hit me hard too. I was uh, just out of nowhere. I just woke up one morning, had it, had it going on, hoping I can sleep it off tonight, but we'll see. And it's summer too. I mean, you're doing this in a hundred degree weather. That doesn't help any. So I, I just wish all the best for you, my friend. We're going to try and get it out. going to just do an opening and closing segment for you. I got all the stuff packed in the middle that we can go ahead and play in the interim, including a great interview I've got with Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works as a customer with MoviePass. He's going to be talking about MoviePass, its great options, his experience with it, and the future going forward because it's very tenuous at this time indeed. Plus also as well, Douglas Hoyobu from Retro City Games. He's going to be talking to Ryan Graff from XSeed about the art of localization on the upcoming JRPG import. Senran Kagura, Burst Renewal. Cannot wait for that to come out later this year. He's going to be talking about all the trials and tribulations about what goes into localizing a great JRPG game like that coming up later in the episode that Douglas recorded from E3 2018. We've got a special edition of the Cosmic Crossfire with Rob McCallum as well. But first, it's here, my friend, the last of the Marvel movies coming at you this year. I know there's been a few, but this is the third, but not by any means the least of the Marvel movies that are coming out this year. It is Ant-Man and the Wasp. It hits theaters this weekend. I know a lot of people are still excited for it. Superhero fatigue doesn't seem to be there quite yet because, as you know, Avengers Infinity War hit it big, over $2 billion. Black Panther, over a billion itself. Now, mind you, if you go off the numbers of the previous film, Ant-Man, it's not going to come close to a billion dollars, but it could generate a lot of income, including another six, seven hundred million dollars from Marvel and Disney. What are your thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp at this point in time? 
Do you see it to be a success for Marvel going forward because of the good vibes coming off of Infinity War? And seemingly a lot of people seem to be now interested in what's going on with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think a lot of people are just looking for the missing pieces of the Infinity War puzzle. So it's this one and then Captain Marvel going into Infinity War Part 2. And I think a lot of people are going to go see Ant-Man, whereas the last Ant-Man, people weren't too stoked about it. It was a Marvel movie and it was fun. Granted, it didn't do as well as the others, but I liked it. And I don't know how you feel about it, but it's cool to take a smaller character like Ant-Man, who didn't do so well last time around, and then have all this interest put in him because people are hoping Hawkeye will show up. They want to see maybe this is going to allude to Infinity War somehow. They want to know what he's been up to and how are they going to tie all the pieces together because there's just this one and then Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel takes place further into the past. So, you know, and I, I'm trying not to read any headlines or read about the ending credit scenes or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm curious because like this wouldn't have been, it's, you know, Marvel wouldn't have placed in such a pivotal place in their schedule if it didn't need to come out, if there weren't a reason for it to come out right now. And that's what I think is the prevailing thinking behind it from the audiences out there is why do we actually need the Ant-Man and the Wasp? Obviously, it's got that part of it to explain itself. It existing in this part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe timeline, since it takes place before the events of Avengers Infinity War and actually takes place shortly after Captain America's Civil War. So people that are not really in tune with the Marvel Cinematic Universe That part of it, they may be confused about, but for us fans of the MCU, it seems to be, okay, we can go ahead and deal with it, but to find its relevancy now, after we've already seen Black Panther and Avengers Infinity War, it seems on the surface kind of out of place. Yeah, but like I said, it it takes place before, or I don't actually even know where it takes place, before Infinity War, um, I imagine, but or maybe halfway through it'll take place in the aftermath, we don't know, but it does have a missing piece because much like Captain Marvel, there seems to be something that needs to happen in these films for Infinity War Part Two to to move forward. You know, I don't know what it is, I'm excited to find out, but I hope that it's you know, there there's enough resolve there to make people like Ant Man a little bit more than they did the first time around, even though I did like it the first time around. I did as well. It doesn't place that high on my list of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it as a cool little heist film in sort of a smaller scale film than the rest of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. No, it doesn't place high on my list in the MCU, but that's not because it's not a good movie. It's just because there's a whole ton of good movies in the MCU. If you want to check out my list of the Marvel Cinematic Universe ranked where I kind of see it. You want to check it out today on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. I have updated it through Avengers Infinity War, so you want to check that out and see where it lies as well. But going back to Ant-Man and the Wasp, you're right. It probably has some type of relevancy in this whole thing. Otherwise, there would be no need for it to exist because of the fact that Ant-Man itself, the first one didn't do as well worldwide compared to the other movies that came around at same time frame or came thereafter. It did the numbers that an early Captain America and an early Thor did to give you an idea of what it, what it's done under $500 million worldwide in its, in its initial outing. So I'm definitely excited to see what's going on with this aspect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It obviously 
from what Disney and Marvel thinking it does have a place to explain everything that's going on. You have already said and speculated at length, and I think correctly so, that the quantum realm has a lot to do with what's going on, not only in this movie, but everything going forward for the Infinity War saga, including possibly what's being called Endgame next year. Because that's really the only way they can tie the pieces together. Because, you know, we discussed this. They can't go through time because the time stone is in Thanos' hands. And they can't alter reality because he also has a reality stone. And so there's really only one method of unscrewing things. And that's by the quantum realm. And I think that's why Ant-Man and Wasp were placed on such a, a big moment. They also have this villain that can now move through objects. So I think that's going to be important to their research going forward as well. And the fact that Hank's wife is back. She's probably got something to tell them that's going to be useful. What about Lawrence Fishburne's character? Because obviously as a former colleague of Hank Pym, and he being one of the first to actually test out, if you go along with what the movie says, about him being one of the first to test out the giant experiments where he becomes extremely large, almost as large as what Ant-Man did when he did it uh, not only in this upcoming movie from what we've seen in the trailers, but Captain America Civil War as well. What role do you think Lawrence Fishburne is going to play in this movie in Ant-Man and the Wasp? Um, that's an interesting question because we don't know what the villain's motivations are. So every, you know, they're going to, maybe they'll play it out like the last Ant-Man where there's a, someone who knew about the research was in charge. Like, you know, he was behind the, all the schemes, but you know, or maybe he'll end up being a good guy. We don't know, but it's hard to say without knowing the the villain's motives in this. So I, I don't know. I mean, they wouldn't have such a big actor in that role if the the part didn't mean anything. So I'm just, you know, I'm as curious about that as you are. It's always great to have Lawrence Fishburne in a movie. DC now Marvel. Obviously, his his career speaks for itself. And of course, Michelle Pfeiffer coming on as Janet Van Dien is definitely a plus as well to see what she can add to that character that was such a vital part of the comics version of the Avengers. If she's going to be something that maybe will be a foundation going forward for the MCU, or she's going to be just relegated to a minor role or a role within this Ant-Man realm. That'll be interesting to see as well. I want to ask you one last thing when we're on the subject of Ant-Man and the Wasp, when it comes to those two, there looks to be a heightened awareness as far as what the wasp is going to do and the powers that she has. This holds true to her value and her place in the comic books as far as being a major contributor to the Avengers. Before you and I have seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, of course, what role do you think the wasp is not only going to play in this movie, but also beyond in the MCU? Well, it's like Kevin Feige said, the heroes, you know, the future of the MCU is going to be mostly female. Uh, of course, they're going to have their Doctor Strange and stuff like that. But he said he wants to put a focus on females that hasn't been there before. So I think that she's going to play a key role in that. And also, I think that she kind of levels out Ant-Man where he's like, we saw him bumble around his superpowers in the last one. But now uh, where he's kind of the, the idiot who just will literally just do anything, she's kind of the the grace and brains that will make them the perfect team, kind of like Batman and Robin, but actually have powers and do stuff. That's cool. That's an excellent summation and thoughts on your part. Well, we're looking forward to it at this point in time. It is Ant-Man and the Wasp. It hits theaters this weekend. 
It has arrived. It is the last Marvel movie of the year. Believe it or not, we're all done with Marvel movies after this one until next year with Captain Marvel. So I'm looking forward for the continuous tale of what's going on within the Infinity War realm to be told at least at some length in this movie. I'm hoping that it does become relevant for Ant-Man and the Wasp to be a part of this I guess, segment of the MCU instead of maybe being placed before or even switching out with another movie that could have gone in this place. Because actually, like Josh, I do like the Ant-Man movie as well. I thought it was a kind of a cool movie. And again, a neat heist film that kind of resonated with a smaller amount of audiences, but still must have resonated with the folks at Marvel and Disney because they were willing to put Ant-Man and the Wasp out there. They were willing to continue that storyline of and and obviously bring the wasp's characters to life even though the movie itself the original ant-man didn't become a huge blockbuster like the other films of recent note in the marvel cinematic universe so i'm really curious to see what's going on with the ant-man and the wasp i know josh is as well if you have any thoughts or any suggestions if you've already seen ant-man and wasp We'd love to hear your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got a great episode coming up for you today. We've got Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works. He's going to be talking all the things going on with MoviePass. Also as well, we've got Rob McCallum coming up in the Cosmic Crossfire. And Ryan Graff from XSeed. He was at E3 2018 with Douglas Hoyobu talking about all the localization that's going on with the JRPG import coming later this year. Senran Kugara Burst Renewal. Cannot wait for that game to come out later this year. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a great show we have for you today. Then we'll be back on the back end talking about the Purge series and is it really going to be done before it even takes off? And that, that would be a shame if it did, but there are signs leading in that direction. But first, we've got Josh's good friend, it's Chad and Hyper Schmidt, and this is After All, and this is the PCC Multiverse. Here at the start, where you are, oh, I would not change a thing. You are dear, you are flawless, will you fix my broken wing? On a ledge, can you see what you know you're looking for? I am sure I've forgotten. Once again, I lost my goal In my problems, I feel small It's the climb of a life It's a fight and I know we're gonna fall Bloody knees, broken wings And it's worth it It's the climb of a life It's a fight and I know we're gonna fall Bloody knees, broken wings And it's worth it
Listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, Head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. Thank you so much for tuning in and sticking around with us and listening in on the show. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man, myth, the legend behind Rob McCallum Films. You got to check out all the great stuff going on. His site, robmccallumfilms.com. It is my good friend. It's Mr. Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? Oh, well, like you say, another day in paradise, week after week. We continue to be blessed with the good weather here in the Great White North. And, you know, it's only been a few days since we recorded the last episode of Crossfire, but lots happening in the world of pop culture. Sometimes the weeks are a bit dry, and this one was a few days, and we got lots of juice. Oh, that we did. It's it's that time of the year when pop culture news seems to flow very, very quickly. And you're right, there is ebbs and tides between slow periods and periods that are really busy. And right now in the middle of summer movie seasons. And I'll tell you what, it's just a great time indeed for everybody out there who loves pop culture. Well, what we're going to talk about today really looks into the not too distant future. We've got to talk 
about WWE and Fox and their five-year pact that's worth over a billion dollars for Fox to stream SmackDown or to showcase broadcast SmackDown. Now, there's still some details that haven't been revealed. Currently, USA has uh, SmackDown rights and it airs on Tuesday live. And it looks like the Fox deal is going to have SmackDown on Friday. It is probably going to be pre-recorded and taped like it originally was back in the day when there was Monday Night Raw and SmackDown used to be on Thursday on UPN. Not um, definitive yet because the fact I, I know that Fox is still trying to put some pressure on a live format. But like you said, it's it's neither here nor there because I know for travel schedule reasons that could be very, very hard to do because especially if if got split crews going all over the world and whatnot, that, that could be an issue as far as having it on Friday nights live. But yeah, and that's some that's some of the issues too, right? Because usually they'll stay in the same venue and switch everything over with everything set up for the second show, the Tuesday night, so that it is easy to go live for both of them and then pack up and, and move out next week rather than having a lot of the different moving pieces around. I've actually never really been a fan of SmackDown as a brand. I remember when it was introduced and I remember the big draft of wrestlers and talent that went to the SmackDown show. I think there's too much talent right now in the WWE that I would rather see two shows a week and watch those storylines unfold quicker than one show and wait another week for it and then see another kind of storyline and, and keep that up. Cause I think you're really just dividing your brand and, and what is good and what isn't good or what's appealing. And that makes the pay-per-views that much muddier as well, in my opinion, but this is really interesting, right? Like Fox acquiring some TV assets. We're still in the midst of the Disney Fox deal is this going to be part of the TV pack? Probably not because it's on the sports side. And we know Fox Sports is is separate from that Disney merger. So it's interesting to see them invest so much heavily in, into something like WWE. And for WWE to pick Fox as, as a partner going forward after so much success on USA, dating really back to the, to the mid-90s, what uh, was your reaction when you heard about this deal going down? The speculation started as soon as USA Universal said that they were going to go ahead and not renew the contract with WWE. And you were thinking to yourself, okay, why would they not keep a show that gets between two and a half million as viewers each and every week? What else do they have right now that's going to get that type of audience? Well, now we see the reasons why because WWE themselves are looking to actually broaden themselves and actually go into a different format. I think this is something that was coordinated as far as between Universal letting it go because of the fact that they don't want to pay the extended dollars necessary in order to retain both shows from the WWE and WWE themselves wanting to go ahead and expand onto back. Well, that's the first time they've been back since what uh, I think they had the Saturday night special on Fox after they had it on NBC. So I think it's been a little while since they had been on uh, any type of broadcast television. So the, like you said, the problem is logistics about wanting to do it live. I know Fox wants to do it live, but like you said, when it comes down to it, when they do their shows a Monday night raw, they do it at one location Sometimes they will do it in the same arena the next day. Most times they will do it in an arena in and around the same area. Like, for instance, L.A. to San Diego or somewhere in South Southern California. New York would be, let's say, one time in the Madison Square Garden. Next next taping would be in SmackDown would be at Barclays Center. So it's just it, it's logistically 
for them, it has to be somewhere close in order to do those major tapings. Now you're asking between that three or four day bump to do it live. And that's kind of hard as far as from a logistical value, what you're asking the WWE to do. So, but the problem is if you tape it, but I got to tell you, a billion dollars solves a lot of logistical issues. It does because if you tape it, numbers go down. It's been proven as with the wrestling community as someone who follows wrestling on pretty much a daily basis still to this day. Traditional numbers skew down if it's presented in a taped format. And that to me would be an issue I think Fox has as far as trying to not promote a live event. It's kind of weird that they're canceling shows Fox are that, that are garnering two to two and a half million. Like for instance, LA to Vegas just got canned yet. They're willing to pony up. Like you said, over five years, a little over a billion dollars for SmackDown and something that's that hopefully will garner uh, just maybe what a million more than that. I don't think at this point in time in the wrestling industry that you can count on more than three, three and a half million as far as a regular audience to sustain itself each and every week because we're not at the point of what we were at in the late 90s when you had the major wrestling wars between world championship wrestling and WWE. Right now, the market is definitively towards the WWE for better or for worse. And at this point in time, like you said, there is a glut of wrestlers out there in the WWE, none of which at this point in time have really broken themselves out as a major star that people can get behind. So you don't have that big rush of, let's say, a Hulkamania or a Steve Austin craze at this point in time. So all you have is right now a solid fan base that you go off of but is that going to be able to sustain you long-term? So far, it's been okay because they've been sporting that and the WWE Network. WWE Networks continue to rise gradually each and every year, so that's been a big win for them. So I guess at this point in time, if you are satisfied with right around 3 million viewers, maybe 3.5, then a billion dollars may be worth it. But I'm just not exactly thinking it's the best maneuver for Fox to have garnered or ponied up so much money when I don't think they really had to. Because there's not really any other major entities out there that were really going to price match with what the WWE was asking for. I'm a little surprised that we don't maybe forego SmackDown on a broadcast. Maybe Vince couldn't just pass up the opportunity. But to me, it seems like a perfect opportunity to move forward with the WWE Network and say SmackDown is live on the WWE Network the same way that their pay-per-views are and really push those sales and those numbers. I also think in the back of my head, USA is giving up SmackDown, which frees up a lot of dollars. But then we got this other thing coming down the road on, I think, 2020, known as the XFL. And maybe USA is going to get into business or NBC is going to get into business with the XFL again and and kind of keep that partnership going, which could also really work with Fox, right? Yes, that's true. But you got to remember in the process of letting SmackDown go or however you want to say it, it was a coordinated whatever. They also paid a big raise for Raw. So some of that money went back into the WWE when it comes to paying for the exclusive rights for Monday Night Raw. So it wasn't exactly a total, we freed ourselves up of a billion dollars over five years. They still actually had to pony up quite a bit more for the actual retention of rights for Monday Night Raw. 
It's a good point, but maybe advertising dollars are up too. Who knows? Who right. knows? And that's the big problem with wrestling. It's never been able to skew the type of advertising dollars that other traditional shows that also get the same type of audience does. So that's also one of the major reasons why it hasn't been on broadcast television as prominent as it maybe should have been over the course of the past 30 years. It's all good points. We'll have to wait and see like a lot of these things. Again, today's topic was, you know, the the near future, what's going to happen, what's going to come, how's all, how are all the chips going to lie? And then, of course, who knows what the numbers will be for WWE and Fox and what that partnership will look like going forward. And if we can see some of the XFL. Spare me. Rob, it's been a good one, my friend. I just truly appreciate you sitting down and talking to me once again on everything going in pop culture and I feel like going out and doing like a Royal Rumble myself right now after all that. There you go. Take on. Just picture yourself beating up either a bunch of cop-like puppets or some uh, oddly animated cat people. Well, that's what, you know, social media. I'm sure you can find both on the Strip in Las Vegas. Yeah, and they're trying to ask for tips every time you take a picture of them, but we won't go there. Rob, as always, it's been great having you on the show of course, being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos and a true found member of the Cosmic Crossfire. Coming up next, it's Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works talking about Movie Pass. This is the PCC Multiverse. Game ticket, $50. Hot dog, $8. Team store item, $25. Having to listen to someone's dumb sports opinions? Worthless. Some people shouldn't talk sports. For everyone else, there's the Unspoken Podcast. Available on most podcasting platforms. And on the web at theunspokensportspodcast.weebly.com. And we're back again with the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos. We thank you for staying in tune with our show today. It's been out there as far as the great things abound when it comes to movie pass, but it's also been out there in recent times about the troubles of movie pass that they've been going through with the fact that they also want to give these great deals. But at the same time, they've had to look into some controversial things that they're doing in order to keep the company afloat. But what does this mean for movie pass consumers? I thought I'd talk to one today. So glad to have him on the show. He is the host of the Lone Star Gridiron and also is the founder and chief marketing officer at Fresh Media Works. Just want to give a great big shout out to Chris Daly for joining us today on the show. How's it going, Chris? It's going great. It's so great to have him part of the PCC Multiverse. Chris, I want to get right into it when it comes to MoviePass. Obviously, when it was introduced, what, a year, almost two years ago now, it would seem like something that I know Josh and I have talked about on the show that seemed almost too good to be true, didn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. And and I heard about it in 2017 is when I finally heard about it. I didn't join it until December of last year, which was still, I guess, the golden age when when you still got everything, you know, you were, you were promised. But I, too, I bought it thinking, well, this, there's got to be some sort of hook here, some scam, something that's not going to work out. So I'll try it and I'll be ready, you know, to, to cancel it as soon as possible. And then I jumped on and, and it worked. It's been great for a lot of consumers so far. 
How many movies do you think you've seen that you've utilized from it so far to this point? Because you said you've, you started in December of last year. Well, I tell you, December, I was very busy, so I didn't see hardly anything. I just joined and I really kicked off my, my movie pass experience in January. That first month and a half, I probably went to 20 plus movies. So I, I used the heck out of it. I was seeing things that I would never go see just because of that whole, you'll do crazy things for something free, right? Of course, of course. You know, it got busy. And now I just use it when, when there's something I want to see. And I think you follow the same pattern as many of the individuals out there. I, I've seen interviews from executives at MoviePass that have said, yes, people just go to town with it uh, in the beginning. And then most of their clientele in the end actually just goes ahead and use a steady to actually even a low amount, which is pretty much for any type of similar type of membership program seems to be the status quo as far as that's concerned. So but it's still great to see that you've gotten a lot of use out of it, a lot of mileage out of it. But like I said earlier, it just seemed like it was something too good to be true. How could they sustain a viable business plan going forward? I know they did have some controversial ways of trying to add money as far as tracking you and your whereabouts after you left the theater. I know from a certain mile radius that there was an issue where it was tracking you and trying to offer you great stuff in and around the area. I'm not exactly in love with that aspect, but I understand in order to get that low price, they have to go ahead and do things maybe that are kind of questionable like that in order to sustain life as a business model. How has it been as far as the third party advertising, the things that they try to get you with as far as what they're advertising after you go see the film or even before you go see a movie with MoviePass? That aspect of it hasn't bothered me at all, mainly because I have all notifications turned off. It doesn't annoy me. When I open it up, I'll see an ad for something. But again, you know, I go to one movie that month and it pays for the darn thing because at $9.95, you know, movies are $12, $15. So yeah, it, it more than pays for it just one time. So any little bit of minor inconvenience from that doesn't slow me down. The only thing that really did catch me off guard wasn't a third party thing. It was the need to then take a photo of your picture to verify it was you. It's a little bit of a hassle, but again, I get it because it, it saves me a bunch of money. That part alone, I guess some people have had the issue with as well, but I, I can see that from their standpoint because you're not giving out to your friends and such and such. So I understand the identification part with it. I want to ask you this in recent times, Things have not looked so well for movie pass holders because they have announced things that, well, actually to keep the company afloat because it looks like they're in a little bit of financial trouble. How has it been since the announcement of the surge pricing? Is it still attractive for you to go ahead and utilize the movie pass? Because the surge pricing is out there on some major films that are currently out and also ones that are coming out very soon to theaters. Well, that hasn't affected me yet. And I don't know if it's because I'm grandfathered in having signed up before they made changes. There, there were some crazy changes there for a while where, where first they said, okay, now you're only getting one a week. And then they changed and said, no, now it's certain markets in the country it's not going to be available in. And, you know, they kept going back and forth on things like that. But my deal with them has stayed the same from day one. So, again, I haven't noticed anything. 
Do you think this is something that very soon will affect your movie pass? Because you said that their plans have been all over the place and a company that's trying to stay afloat and trying to stay above water at this point in time, like movie pass is, it could be the point where you're going to be seeing changes. Like you said, all over the place continuously that eventually will, will reach you as a grandfathered in type of customer. Yeah, I think it has definitely has potential for that. I think what is probably a bigger threat to the existing customer base of MoviePass are things like Cinemark and Regal and these other guys who are trying to come out with a similar version for you to go see movies just at their theater. Right now, the competition is not real strong at all because Cinemark has one that's $8.95 a month and you get one movie and you get a discount on their high-priced <laughs> concessions. And I agree with you. Josh and I actually did a segment a couple of weeks back where we were almost laughing at it. And there was really only one major competitor to that. And that competitor is actually based, in, I think, in Northern California. It's just it's only into a small, limited number of theaters. Any of the larger entities, such as AMC, Cinemark, and whatnot, they just don't have a plan that matches up. I agree with you. I see that Cinemark, the theater near my home, and I go there and I just laugh at it that people would actually be interested in that type of program compared to what's out there, especially when it comes to movie pass. But you and I both have heard the news recently within a very short amount of time about MoviePass still, again, being very tenuous as far as its future financially, trying to raise $1.2 billion to pay off certain debts and other outstanding issues monetarily. That is a big concern for me as far as someone who is on the fringe of actually getting the membership and still interested in possibly becoming a MoviePass customer. What does that tell you when MoviePass itself is looking to raise an additional $1.2 billion in order to save the company and keep it afloat at this point in time? Well, I think the first thing it tells me is they're serious about staying alive. They're not a company that's like, hey, I'm in it for a long time. I'm in it for a good time. I think that proves they're trying to stay viable. For existing customers, it signals, hey, get as much use out of this as you can. <laughs> just in case it cancels. But also for, for potential new customers, I say get on board now and ride it as long as you can. And if enough people do get on board, it saves it for everybody. You know, there's nothing more I can do. I'm already paying them. <laughs> but we can encourage others to, to join and, and prove that this, this model can work. Two last questions I have for you. First is the future of MoviePass in and of itself with your thoughts on it. I want to hear your detailed thoughts on MoviePass's future. Realistically, what do you think is going to happen when it comes to MoviePass? I'm asking you to gaze into that crystal ball, that daily crystal ball you probably got right there on the desk and gaze into it a little bit. Just realistically think what is going to go on with MoviePass and its possible future. I don't know. I'm totally clueless because I don't know all the economics of their business model. I have an idea of how they're making their money and or losing their money, but they're going to have to get in bed with some of these theater chains a lot tighter. It's not going to be, hey, we're a third party and we're sending you customers. We're going to have to work together to save the movie industry for one and to make it a model that's competitive with binging on Netflix or Amazon Prime, you know, because that's who they're competing against. And frankly, MoviePass 
pulled me away from Netflix. You know, I, I, I don't watch nearly as much Netflix as I used to, but now I go to a lot more movies than I used to. So that's who they're fighting against. It's not them fighting against Cinemark or fighting against Regal Cinemas. It's fighting against all this online streaming. If you were to say one thing to MoviePass, you had MoviePass, you were right there at the doorstep of MoviePass, you were going to tell them one thing, what would that be? I think I'd tell them to make sure that the core of what this program is, the fact that I can pay one flat fee and go to as many movies as I like, or one a day, whatever, what they stick with that core. If they somehow get the bean counters in there and they say, no, let's change it up and let's modify it a little bit. I think they're going to lose one, the media coverage they get because it's not going to be that cool anymore, but they're also going to lose their customer base. They're not going to attract new ones and they're going to be the dodo bird of technology companies. Very well said. And I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. And it'll be something maybe two or three years down the line, you and I are going to be saying, Hey, remember that movie pass? (laughs) <laughs> that was kind of fun while we had it around. Again, it's so great to have you on the show, but you got to tell everyone out there the awesome podcast you have called The Lone Star Gridiron, available today on Apple Podcasts and every other media outlet. Yeah, actually, I, I've got a half dozen podcasts, but the easiest thing to do is to go on Apple, go on Google Play, go on Stitcher, any of those, and search for my name, Chris, last name D-O-E-L-L-E, and you'll see a list of them. Rather than me go through and explain Lone Star Gridiron's high school football, my marketing shows, different things like that, just look for my name. I'm easy to find out there. Chris Daly's Media Empire at Fresh Media Works. You just type in his name, Chris, D-O-E-L-L-E, on Apple Podcasts, and all of his great podcasts show up. You got it. Chris, it's just been great having you on the show today. I hope you get a chance to come back. You're always welcome on topics outside of MoviePass or anything that you want to talk about that you watched in MoviePass, whether it be great movies that are out there or what have you. Just so great to have you on the show today and also a part of the PCC Multiverse. All right, Alan, thank you so much for including me. I definitely will be back. Coming up next is our E3 2018 interview with Ryan Graff from Exceed. This is the PCC Multiverse. Move over, Jimmy Kimmel. Step aside, Conan O'Brien. Back off, Stephen Colbert. It's my turn. I'm Mike Shea, and every Tuesday on my show, Mike Talks Funny, I sit down and talk with comedians, actors, film fans, podcasters, anybody willing to get down, get deep, and get dirty. I've tasted what most comics want, and now I have to go back and eat the leftovers. You're so brave. For wearing that shade of lipstick on stage. Oh my God. <laughs> Think of Last Comic Standing and Mystery Science Theater 3000 had a baby, and that's the show. My online doppelgangers. He is uh, Adrian Miller. All the top results are he's a professor. Interviews with great people, not to mention all kinds of awesome new music every show. Hey, this is Don Smith. This is Scotty Mays. Hey, this is Kevin Goatee with Comics Watching Comics. Brought to you by Eventide Entertainment. Hi guys, this is Doug from Pop Culture Cosmos. I'm over at the X-Seat booth at E3, and I'm here with Ryan Graff. He was the localization lead on Sengun Kagura, 
first renewal for people who are new to the series or maybe have played other games in the series. Tell us a little bit about the game and... Sure. Uh, so Senran Kagura is about ninjas existing in modern Japan. The ninjas are trained at these schools that present themselves as regular high schools. And so these uh, shinobi students from all these different schools uh, come into conflict because their schools have differing ideologies. And a lot of the story of each game, well, each of the, the canon games, the main games in the series, I should say, they're all kind of sort of canon, is about kind of exploring the nature of those conflicts and the nature of the ideologies and what it really means to be good and evil. And of course, there's plenty of fan service along, you know, in that same package. Which uh, is always fun. Of course, of course. Yeah, uh, so what was the hardest part about localizing the game? Or was there any challenges you guys ran into as far as moving from the 3DS to the PS4 version of this game? Oh, well, in terms of localization, Burst is the only game in the series that was done by a different editor much earlier in, uh, in Exceed's sort of uh, growth when, well, Burst was actually initially designed to be a standalone game. There, wasn't, there weren't really plans for sequels, and so everything was kind of designed to be sort of self-contained. In later games in the series, they sort of opened up the characters for a lot more growth. And so when we were revisiting the script for Burst, uh, in Burst Renewal, we sort of took another look at that original script. We used the original script as a baseline, but here and there we would see instances where, you know, a character's voice would be a little bit out of sync with how they talk later in the series, or a character would seem like too confident for that point in the series, or too meek for that point in the series. And so we sort of revisited that to make it sort of more, more, more in line with the series as a whole. Awesome. Uh, can you talk to any uh, of the differences or things you guys are adding to the PS4 version that people who maybe have played the 3DS version but want maybe more or a different experience on the PS4? What have you guys added to the series, I guess? Oh, certainly. So Burst Renewal is a full remake of the original Burst on the 3DS. Part of that means that the game now uses uh, what I believe is a modified version of the Estival engine, so full 3D, 360-degree uh, movement, very, very smooth now, run, runs great. Uh, a lot of uh, new combat features have been added, including what they call the Burst Meter, which builds up as you fight, and you can then turn it on midway through a fight to make yourself temporarily more powerful, and then while that meter is running, you can expend all the rest of it at once if you want to by pushing a button to just unleash one big flurry of attacks at the same time. Other additions include these new collectibles hidden throughout the levels called the Top Secret Files. And what those are is uh, they give you a little extra background notes on the characters and the world they live in. For example, in the core story of both the original Burst and this one, there's a scene where Yomi sees a, a TV interview with Ikaruga's dad and gets really mad about it because he's talking about how, you know, Rich people should donate outside of Japan because poor people in Japan have it good enough. She takes offense to that, but the collectible you get uh, in that instance is a full transcript of the interview. And you can kind of see how a guy in, uh, in the position of somebody who's been rich all his life, you know, would, would have that opinion, you know, from reading the full interview. So it's, ni it's a nice little uh, background detail, and the, the game is full of things like that. Other than that, the game also features as DLC two additional full chapters that weren't in the, uh, the original game. Each of those chapters covers one of the other factions, or at least part of those other factions, that weren't present in the original burst, and it shows what they were doing during the events of the original burst. So one of those chapters, I should mention, will be a pack-in with the LE, both of the two different LEs. And the other chapter, the Miyabi chapter, will come along later. 
know, that's something I've always seen in X-Seed. Um, you know, back to even, like, uh, the PS3 releases, like Trails of Cold Steel and stuff like that, or back to Legend of Heroes on the PSP and things like that. It's the, the attention to detail, not it reminds me almost of a working designs back in the day. The the attention to detail, not through just the packaging, but the entire experience. The the story, the like you said, fan service earlier, the 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 art style, everything has, it fits and it works. And I'm, I'm glad to see that you guys are, are paying attention to all of that and trying, like you said, tweaking things to make it, as even though the game already came out before, making it as perfect as possible. And that, that's really nice to see. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, working designs definitely paved a lot of the the trails, blazed a lot of the trails, I suppose I should say, for you know what we would consider model, uh, modern localization today. And localization is an ongoing process. You know, uh, a person who sits down to localize a game today wouldn't necessarily take the same approach that they would five or ten or twenty years ago. You know, I mean, the, there was a directive, well, not a directive, but a, a, sort, a sort of general idea back then that as long as it's entertaining and follows the general gist of the story, you know, anything you put in that text box is, you know, is good. Whereas today, especially since a lot of text is uh, voiceover, which, you know, of course, wasn't a thing back in the cartridge days, and a lot more fans are becoming at least somewhat more savvy of the way Japanese language works, you know, if they hear a, uh, a character saying one thing in Japanese and they read something entirely different, they're going to know and it's going to take them out of the game. So that's something we try to keep in mind. Now, that's not to say that every localization we do is one-to-one, from Japanese language to English because they are two very different languages and not only that, they have two very different sort of rhythms and sort of sentence structures. Uh, there's a famous joke that the Japanese phrases for officer, he just killed somebody and officer, I just killed somebody sound exactly the same <laughs> because Japanese is very dependent on context in a way that English just isn't. And, you know, there, there are other differences you know, along those same lines but the upshot is, you know, we the, the, the rule that I and uh, a lot of the other localizers I work with try to go by is translate the meaning, not necessarily the words. Gotcha. Do you guys find yourself uh, having issues as far as, like, the approach, uh, maybe the, the word count in Japanese being less or more than that translation in English? Does that play a factor, or is it, or is it tough to, to make that fit into the context of the story, especially when two people are having a dialogue? I can imagine if it's a three-word sentence in, in Japanese, and it translates into 10 or 15 in English, how do you guys get around those kind of issues? Oh, yeah, that, that certainly does come up all the time. And, in fact, uh, in Senran Kagura Burst Renewal, which, you know, I'm just now finishing up the localization on, along with uh, some of the other people from the office, we are running into that because some of the text in the game, in the current build, in fact, you can see a little bit of it in this demo that we're showing at E3, is just too small for most TVs. And so, not only is it pretty crunched down to begin with, because things do take fewer characters to say in Japanese most of the time than they do in English, but now, if we're making that bigger, we have to revisit some of that text and see if we have to crunch it down even more. You know, that can be an issue. Sometimes we're, uh, and it depends on the project, sometimes we're very, very limited in the text space we have, and we have to just, you know, work the best we can, even to the point of, you know, just chopping out entire little bit, uh, little details, you know, just to fit the, the, main, the main thrust of a sentence in. Sometimes with some games, we have the freedom to add new text boxes, so that, that's always a luxury when we have it. Uh, Story of Seasons was a great example of that. They just said, uh, you know, put in uh, such and such uh, bracket command to give the, give the text another box, and of course, Story of Seasons wasn't voiced over, so we didn't have to worry about anything there either. Either, and um, you know, yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, what I've played and what I've seen, I love. Do you guys have a uh, release date or at least about when the game's going to be uh, out for everybody? It's going to be out for PS4 in the fall. In the fall? In the fall. Awesome. We'll look at it for your local retailers in the fall. Right. Thank you again. Appreciate oh, thanks it. Thanks so much. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. 
Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. Want to thank Rob McCallum, Chris Daly, and Ryan Graff for being part of the show, and Douglas Hoyabu for getting that interview at E3 2018. Josh, since you're on the injured list, I will go ahead and let everyone know out there, if you want to check out the latest episode of Topic Topicocalypse, they're talking a space race. That's right. They're talking about the latest attempt at a space force, how it got thought up, and all the things that are going on, the, all the possibilities of what could be a possible war in space or us trying to defend war in space as far as the U.S. is concerned. The guys from Topicocalypse have their thoughts about it. So you just want to check out today Topicocalypse on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and so many other great audio outlets. Also, as well, I just got to let everybody know, you can listen to our shows seven days a week on online radio on great stations here in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. We are worldwide seven days a week with airings of the Pop Culture Cosmos and PCC Multiverse. Plus, you can catch our shows anytime on over 30 different podcast networks, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and so many other great audio outlets. To check a listing of our radio stations and also many of the podcast networks, just check it out today on Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook or Pop Culture Cosmo on Twitter. Josh, before we head on out, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the purge. Now, the first purge, if you're keeping score, my friend, the actual first purge, which is not the first purge in the series, but it's actually the first purge chronologically is actually playing right now. It just got released July 4th over the holiday. And it's not getting the best reviews, but it should still do between maybe 22 to $25 million at the U.S. domestic box office, $30 million maybe for the first five days as a whole. That's not great as compared to the previous iterations in the series, which is not the greatest thing when you've got a Purge TV series coming to Sci-Fi and the USA channel. I'm not a huge fan of the Purge. I never have been. I just, I don't find the idea of that to be that thrilling to me. Uh, I know a lot of people are. Uh, they kind of have beaten their own franchise to death, though. I mean, how many movies are out now? What, four or five? Uh, this is, I think, the fourth. And this is the fourth, I think, in about five years. I think the first one came out in 2013, which, again, it goes back to what we've talked about. A low-budget horror flick reaping high-profit rewards. The only thing at this point in time is I think they burn their bridge once too often and come out with a film that tries to be a precursor to all this. But as you and I both saw with the Cloverfield Paradox, it's not always great to go back home again and to try and recreate it from the start when you're already in the middle of a franchise already that's gotten started. Well, look at the paranormal activity. The same thing happened with them. Like they had the same idea. And then the last one was so bad that nobody really cared about it that much. So there People do like new franchises that like to be scared, like the thrill, but their goodwill runs out quickly. And with this one, they, they're trying really hard, you know, to make a political statement. So 
where's the goodwill of the fans going to go? Are they going to get tired of it? It seems like this one should be more of like a straight to DVD type thing, but paranormal activity has demonstrated anything. It's that people do run out of patience for these movies. You're right. They do. And especially when you load up four and five years of the same thing over and over and over and over. And it's a shame because you have the three that did really well. And the TV series didn't seem like such a bad idea. But you compound that with this fourth one, and a lot of people would say, well, that's just one right there. But this fourth one that's, well, let's just say it's got a lower opinion than the other three movies in the series. And it looks like from all appearances that it's going to have the least amount of dollars. That type of success can kill a franchise before it even really gets off the ground, especially if you've got a TV series that you want to actually go ahead and try and showcase coming up either later this year or early next year with it on Sci-Fi or the USA channel. And it just seems like a missed opportunity where you really didn't have to really just trying to go for all that money and go for cash grab when it really says that maybe you should have slowed down on the movies focused on the TV series and maybe bring out a movie if the TV does become a hit series. Yeah, I agree. I think also they, they did jump the gun on the TV series because people like to watch these experiences, like especially scary movies. They like to go to the movies and be scared. They like to sit at home, turn on Netflix be, and be scared. But you know, a network television show, there's only so far they're, that they're going to be able to go, especially with a, something like the purge, which is ultra violent. There's only so much they're going to be able to do with that and i think almost immediately since the purge is already such a low budget thing you're gonna be able to tell almost immediately off the bat that the budget for the tv show is even lower but i I don't know i think a tv show is a bad idea and i like the whole thing with child's play i think that that's a stupid idea too so we don't need these shows we don't need horror movies to be turned into shows because they, they don't last people aren't watching network tv anymore if it was a netflix thing maybe because they can kind of make it into a big production budget but People are not watching network TV anymore. And if these like plays for shows like The Purge and Child's Play or whatever indicate anything, it's that these broadcast stations are getting desperate to compete with the streaming world. I agree with you on that. What are your thoughts on The Purge series? Have you checked out the first Purge this weekend? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Do you see a TV series for it being something that you want to see when it hits sci-fi and USA this fall? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, I appreciate so much that you, you were able to get this one out, my friend. Hope you feel better. For your weekend, what do we need to go ahead and focus on for the Monday show? Ant-Man and Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, for sure. That We're going to have some reactions for that. Also, is where we're going to be talking a lot more in the coming weeks about Amazon Prime Day. And of course, right around the corner, one of Josh and our favorite times that's going on during the course of the year, and that is San Diego Comic-Con. We're going to be talking a lot about that as the events unfold, and hopefully you get a chance to check out all we've got to offer for our Monday and Friday shows upcoming. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.